Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather and today we will read and discuss chapter 5 of Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there entitled Wool and Water. But before we begin, guys, I'm feeling kind of loose today, kind of loosey-goosey. I was a guest on someone else's podcast today, and it's just the complete polar opposite of this podcast. I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to pull back the curtain to the great and powerful Heather, but uh, every syllable of this is scripted. I try to make it sound really casual and off the top of my head. It is all written down, every last word. I actually wrote um in the script once because I didn't know how to transition to something. Anyway, I was on the Dork Forest podcast today, hosted by the very funny comic Jackie Cation, and it was just willy-nilly. She would ask questions. I babbled on and on. People come on and they talk about things they're dorky about, so I think we know what I talked about. Uh, And it was just really fun. Another thing I wanted to mention before we get into wool and water today. In our last episode, very early in the recitation of The Walrus and the Carpenter by our friend Tweedledee, I said maps instead of mops. I knew I said it, and I just kept going. I didn't correct it, and I don't know why, because seven maids with seven maps sweeping for half a year? That makes no sense whatsoever. And I am actually capable of some basic editing. You'd be amazed at all the gross sounds that come out of my mouth that I spend hours excising from the broadcast so as to not assault your delicate ears. But for some reason, I thought maid sweeping with maps was acceptable. Go figure. When we last left our hero, she was leaving the company of Tweedledum and Tweedledee. The Tweedles were about to battle over their nice new rattle when, per the nursery rhyme, a giant crow flew down to interrupt the would-be fight. Alice took this opportunity to run into the wood, where a shawl flew by her. Let's see who the owner is. Chapter 5, Wool and Water She caught the shawl as she spoke and looked about for the owner. In another moment, the white queen came running wildly through the wood, with both arms stretched out wide, as if she were flying, and Alice very civilly went over to meet her with the shawl. "'I'm very glad I happened to be in the way,' Alice said, as she helped her to put on her shawl again. The White Queen only looked at her in a helpless, frightened sort of way, and kept repeating something in a whisper to herself that sounded like, "'Bread and butter, bread and butter,' and Alice felt that if there was to be any conversation at all, she must manage it herself. So she began, rather timidly, "'Am I addressing the White Queen?' "'Well, yes, if you call that addressing,' the Queen said. "'It isn't my notion of the thing at all.' Alice thought it would never do to have an argument at the very beginning of their conversation, so she smiled and said, "'If your majesty will only tell me the right way to begin, I'll do it as well as I can.' "'But I don't want it done at all,' groaned the poor queen. "'I've been addressing myself for the last two hours.' It would have been all the better, as it seemed to Alice, if she had got someone else to dress her. She was so dreadfully untidy. "'Every single thing's crooked,' Alice thought to herself, and she's all over pins. "'May I put your shawl straight for you?' she added aloud." "'I don't know what's the matter with it,' the queen said in a melancholy voice. "'It's out of temper, I think. "'I've pinned it here and I've pinned it there, but there's no pleasing it. "'It can't go straight, you know, if you pin it all on one side,' Alice said, "'as she gently put it right for her. "'And dear me, what a state your hair is in. "'The brush has got entangled in it,' the queen said with a sigh. "'And I lost the comb yesterday.' Alice carefully released the brush and did her best to get the hair into order. "'Come, you look rather better now,' she said, after altering most of the pins. "'But really, you should have a lady's maid.' 
I'm sure I'll take you with pleasure, the queen said. Two pence a week and jam every other day. Alice couldn't help laughing as she said, I don't want you to hire me, and I don't care for jam. Well, it's very good jam, said the queen. Well, I, I don't want any today, at any rate. Well, you couldn't have it if you did want it, the queen said. The rule is jam tomorrow and jam yesterday, but never jam today. It must come sometimes to jam today, Alice objected. No, it can't, said the queen. It's jam every other day. Today isn't any other day, you know. I don't understand you, said Alice. It's dreadfully confusing. That's the effect of living backwards, the queen said kindly. It always makes one a little giddy at first. Living backwards, Alice repeated in great astonishment. I never heard of such a thing. But there's one great advantage in it, that one's memory works both ways. Well, I'm sure mine only works one way, Alice remarked. I can't remember things before they happen. Well, it's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards, the queen remarked. Well, what sort of things do you remember best? Alice ventured to ask. Oh, things that happened the week after next, the queen replied in a careless tone. For instance, now, she went on, sticking a large piece of plaster on her finger as she spoke, there's the king's messenger. He's in prison now, being punished, and the trial doesn't even begin till next Wednesday. And of course the crime comes last of all. Suppose he never commits the crime, said Alice. Well, that would be all the better, wouldn't it? The queen said as she bound the plaster round her finger with a bit of ribbon. Alice felt there was no denying that. Well, of course it would be all the better, she said, but it wouldn't be all the better his being punished. You're wrong there, at any rate, said the queen. Were you ever punished? Well, only for faults, said Alice. Then you were all the better for it, I know, the queen said triumphantly. Yes, but then I had done the things I was punished for, said Alice. That makes all the difference. But if you hadn't done them, the queen said, that would have been better still. Better and better and better! Her voice went higher with each better till it got quite to a squeak at last. Alice was just beginning to say, there's a mistake somewhere, when the queen began screaming so loud that she had to leave the sentence unfinished. Oh, oh! shouted the queen, shaking her hand about as if she wanted to shake it off. My finger's bleeding! Oh, 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 oh! Her screams are so exactly like the whistle of a steam engine that Alice had to hold both her hands over her ears. What is the matter? she said as soon as there was a chance of making herself heard. Have you pricked your finger? I haven't pricked it yet, the queen said, but I soon shall. Oh, oh, oh! When do you expect to do it? Alice asked, feeling very much inclined to laugh. When I fasten my shawl again, the poor queen groaned out, the brooch will come undone directly. Oh, oh. As she said the words, the brooch flew open, and the queen clutched wildly at it and tried to clasp it again. Oh, take care, cried Alice. You're holding it all crooked. And she caught at the brooch, but it was too late. The pin had slipped, and the queen had pricked her finger. That accounts for the bleeding, you see, she said to Alice with a smile. Now you understand the way things happen here. "'But why don't she scream now?' Alice asked, holding her hands ready to put over her ears again. "'Why, I've done all the screaming already,' said the queen. "'What would be the good of having it all over again?' By this time it was getting light. "'The crow must have flown away, I think,' said Alice. "'I'm so glad it's gone. I thought it was the night coming on.' "'I wish I could manage to be glad,' the queen said. "'Only I never can remember the rule. You must be very happy living in the wood and being glad whenever you like.' Only it is so very lonely here, Alice said in a melancholy voice, and at the thought of her loneliness, two large tears came rolling down her cheeks. Oh, don't go on like that, cried the poor queen, wringing her hands in despair. Consider what a great girl you are. Consider what a long way you've come today. Consider what a clock it is. Consider anything, only don't cry. Alice could not help laughing at this, even in the midst of her tears. Can you keep from crying by considering things, she asked. "'That's the way it's done,' the queen said, with great decision. "'Nobody can do two things at once, you know. 
Let's consider your age to begin with. How old are you? I'm seven and a half exactly. You needn't say exactly, the queen remarked. I can believe it without that. Now I'll give you something to believe. I'm just one hundred and one, five months in a day. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you, the queen said in a pitying tone. Try again. Draw a long breath and shut your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Oh, there goes the shawl again. The brooch had come undone as she spoke, and a sudden gust of wind blew the queen's shawl across a little brook. The queen spread out her arms again and went flying after it, and this time she succeeded in catching it for herself. I've got it, she cried in a triumphant tone. Now you shall see me pin it on again all by myself. Well, then I hope your finger is better now, Alice said very politely, as she crossed the little brook after the queen. Oh, much better, cried the queen, her voice rising to a squeak as she went on. Much better, 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 better. The last word ended in a long bleat so like a sheep that Alice quite started. She looked at the queen, who seemed to have suddenly wrapped herself up in wool. Alice rubbed her eyes and looked again. She couldn't make out what had happened at all. Was she in a shop? And was that really... Was it really a sheep that was sitting on the other side of the counter? Rub as she could, she could make nothing more of it. She was in a little dark shop, leaning with her elbows on the counter, and opposite to her was an old sheep, sitting in an armchair knitting, and every now and then leaving off to look at her through a great pair of spectacles. "'What is it you want to buy?' the sheep said at last, looking for a moment up from her knitting. "'I don't quite know yet,' Alice said very gently. "'I should like to look all round me first, if I might.' "'You may look in front of you and on both sides, if you like,' said the sheep, "'but you can't look all round you, unless you've got eyes at the back of your head.' But these, as it happened, Alice had not got, so she contented herself with turning round, looking at the shelves as she came to them. The shop seemed to be full of all manner of curious things, but the oddest part of it all was that whenever she looked hard at any shelf to make out exactly what it had on it, that particular shelf was always quite empty, though the others round it were crowded as full as they could hold. "'Things flow about so here,' she said at last in a plaintive tone, after she had spent a minute or so in vainly pursuing a large bright thing that looked sometimes like a doll and sometimes like a workbox, and was always in the shelf next above the one she was looking at. "'And this is the most provoking of all, but I'll tell you what,' she added, as a sudden thought struck her, "'I'll follow it up to the very top shelf of all. It'll puzzle it to go through the ceiling, I expect.' But even this plan failed. The thing went through the ceiling as quietly as possible, as if it were quite used to it. "'Are you a child or a teetotum?' the sheep said as she took up another pair of needles. "'You make me giddy soon, you go on turning around like that.' She was now working with fourteen pairs at once, and Alice couldn't help looking at her in great astonishment. "'How can she knit with so many?' the puzzled child thought to herself. "'She gets more and more like a porcupine every minute. "'Can you row?' the sheep asked, handing her a pair of knitting needles as she spoke. "'Yes, a little, but not on land and not with needles,' Alice was beginning to say, when suddenly the needles turned into oars in her hands, and she found they were in a little boat, gliding along between banks, so there was nothing for it but to do her best. "'Feather!' cried the sheep as she took up another pair of needles. This didn't sound like a remark that needed any answer, so Alice said nothing but pulled away. There was something very queer about the water, she thought, as every now and then the oars got fast in it and would hardly come out again. 
Feather, feather, the sheep cried again, taking more needles. You'll be catching a crab directly. A dear little crab, thought Alice, I should like that. Didn't you hear me say feather? The sheep cried angrily, taking up quite a bunch of needles. Indeed I did, said Alice. You've said it very often and very loud. Please, where are the crabs? In the water, of course, said the sheep, sticking some of the needles into her hair as her hands were full. Feather, I say. Why do you say feather so often? Alice asked, a little vexed. I'm not a bird. You are, said the sheep. You're a little goose. This offended Alice a little, so there was no more conversation for a minute or two, while the boat glided gently on. Sometimes among beds of weeds, which made the oars stick fast in the water, worse than ever, and sometimes under trees, but always with the same tall river banks frowning over their heads. Oh, please, there are some scented rushes, Alice cried in a sudden transport of delight. There really are, and such beauties. You needn't say please to me about them, the sheep said without looking up from her knitting. I didn't put them there, and I'm not going to take them away. No, but I meant, please, may we wait and pick some, Alice pleaded, if you don't mind stopping the boat for a minute. How am I to stop it, said the sheep. If you leave off rowing, it'll stop itself. So the boat was left to drift down the stream as it would, till it glided gently in among the waving rushes and then the little sleeves were carefully rolled up, and the little arms were plunged in elbow-deep to get the rushes a good long way down before breaking them off. And for a while Alice forgot all about the sheep and the knitting, as she bent over the side of the boat with just the ends of her tangled hair dripping into the water, while with bright, eager eyes she caught at one bunch after another of the darling-scented rushes. I only hope the boat won't tipple over, she said to herself. Oh, what a lovely one! Only I couldn't quite reach it. And it certainly did seem a little provoking— Almost as if it happened on purpose, she thought, that though she managed to pick plenty of beautiful rushes as the boat glided by, there was always a more lovely one that she couldn't reach. The prettiest are always further, she said at last, with a sigh at the obstinacy of the rushes in growing so far off, as with flushed cheeks and dripping hair and hands she scrambled back into her place and began to arrange her newfound treasures. What mattered it to her just then that the rushes had begun to fade and to lose all their scent and beauty from the very moment that she picked them? Even real scented rushes, you know, last only a very little while, and these being dream rushes melted away almost like snow as they lay in heaps at her feet. But Alice hardly noticed this. There were so many other curious things to think about. They hadn't gone much further before the blade of one of the oars got fast in the water and wouldn't come out again, so Alice explained it afterwards. And the consequence was that the handle of it caught her under the chin, and in spite of a series of little shrieks of, oh, 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 from poor Alice, it swept her straight off the seat and down among the heap of rushes. However, she wasn't hurt, and was soon up again. The sheep went on with her knitting all the while, just as if nothing had happened. "'That was a nice crab you caught,' she remarked, as Alice got back into her place, very much relieved to find herself still in the boat. "'Was it? I didn't see it,' said Alice, peeping cautiously over the side of the boat into the dark water. "'I wish it hadn't let go. I should so like to see a little crab to take home with me.' But the sheep only laughed scornfully and went on with her knitting. "'Are there many crabs here?' said Alice. "'Crabs and all sorts of things,' said the sheep. "'Plenty of choice, only make up your mind. "'Now what do you want to buy?' "'To buy?' Alice echoed in a tone that was half astonished and half frightened, "'for the oars and the boat and the river had vanished all in a moment, "'and she was back again in the little dark shop. "'I should like to buy an egg, please,' she said timidly. "'How do you sell them?' Five pence farthing for one, two pence for two,' the sheep replied. "'Then two are cheaper than one?' Alice said in a surprised tone." "'Taking out her purse, only you must eat them both if you buy two, said the sheep. "'Then I'll have one, please,' said Alice, as she put the money down on the counter, "'for she thought to herself they mightn't be at all nice, you know. 
The sheep took the money and put it away in a box. Then she said, I never put things into people's hands. That would never do. You must get it for yourself. And so saying, she went off to the other end of the shop and set the egg upright on a shelf. I wonder why it wouldn't do, thought Alice, as she groped her way among the tables and chairs, for the shop was very dark towards the end. The egg seems to get further away the more I walk towards it. Let me see, is this a chair? Why, it's got branches, I declare. How very odd to find trees growing here. And actually, here's a little brook. Well, this is the queerest shop I ever saw. So she went on, wondering more and more at every step, as everything turned into a tree the moment she came up to it, and she quite expected the egg to do the same. an egg. I wonder if she's ever going to catch up with that egg. We'll find out in the next chapter entitled Humpty Dumpty. All right, not a lot of cliffhangers going on in this book when we know the next chapter name. This chapter, Wool and Water, holds a special place in my heart. Why? Because Alice is in a rowboat on a river. And as we have discussed, that is how the Alice books came to be. Lewis Carroll, Charles Dodson would take young Alice Little and her sisters on boat trips and other excursions and tell them stories to keep them entertained. And it was on one of those boat trips that he first sent his protagonist down the rabbit hole and into history. There is an illustration from this chapter of Alice rowing, and it's on the homepage of Alice's Everywhere on our website. I use a cropped version of it for my profile pic on all the Alice's Everywhere social media accounts. I'm just so happy that John Tunniel chose to illustrate that moment, as rowing on the river is such an important part of the Alice and Lewis Carroll story. You'll recall that in the poems that preface Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, he uses those boat trips to illustrate his relationship with the little girls, as well as the passage of time. In this chapter, when he describes Alice plunging her arms into the water with her sleeves carefully rolled up, with just the ends of her hair getting wet, you really get the feeling that Lewis Carroll is describing a real girl doing something he has actually witnessed on many an occasion. We've gotten glimpses of that real girl before, mentioning a certain toss of the head, the way her hair gets in her eyes, but this passage, I think, goes a little further and really reverberates the shadow of a sigh that trembles throughout the story that he promised in the prefatory poem of Looking Glass. You know who else found this chapter to be extra special? John Lennon. Oh yes, I am talking about the Beatles again. This specific chapter inspired a song that you may not expect. This excerpt is from that same posthumous Playboy interview I quoted last time. Playboy asks, where did Lucy in the sky come from? John answers, my son Julian came in one day with a picture he painted about a school friend of his named Lucy. He had sketched in some stars in the sky and called it Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Simple. Playboy goes on, the other images in the song weren't drug-inspired? John answers, the images were from Alice in Wonderland. It was Alice in the boat. She is buying an egg, and it turns into Humpty Dumpty. The woman serving in the shop turns into a sheep, and the next minute they were rowing in a rowing boat somewhere, and I was visualizing that. There was also the image of the female who would someday come save me, a girl with kaleidoscope eyes who would come out of the sky. It turned out to be Yoko, though I hadn't met Yoko yet. So maybe it should be Yoko in the Sky with Diamonds. End quote. Well, thank goodness we already knew the next chapter's name so that John didn't give away any spoilers with the Humpty Dumpty reference. You know what's funny is whenever John Lennon brings up Alice in Wonderland, he's always actually talking about Through the Looking Glass. I wonder if he even read the first book. Wouldn't that be funny if somehow he totally missed the boat on that one? What a talking caterpillar. Well, that's nonsense. 
Anyway, I found that interview to be very interesting because I had heard the bit about Julian drawing the picture before, but not about the Alice connection to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And I disagree with John. I know it's his song and all, but I don't think Yoko in the Sky with Diamonds has quite the same ring to it. So Alice's companion for Chapter 5, Wool and Water, is the White Queen. I feel like the White Queen gets the short end of the scepter when it comes to the queens in the Alice books. I don't think she's even included in a bunch of film adaptations. I mean, sure, the Red Queen and Queen of Hearts often get combined into one character, but at least they're there. I often forget how important she is. When I was picking out the quotable quotes to include on the accompanying blog post for this episode on aliceseverywhere.com, all three were from the White Queen. That's unprecedented. That's Hatter-like numbers of quotable quotes. For those keeping score at home, the quotes I picked are, it's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards, the rule is jam tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never jam today, and finally, now we know who really says why sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. I'll tell you the truth, I don't know if anybody else considers that jam line very quotable, I've just always loved it. It's one of those lines that, when taken alone, can sound very angsty and depressing. Jam yesterday, jam tomorrow. What about today? When, oh, when will there be jam today? And I always find it curious when Alice says she doesn't care for jam. First of all, who doesn't like jam? It's delicious. Secondly, and more importantly, when she was falling down the rabbit hole in the first book, she took a jar of marmalade off a shelf, and I quote, To her great disappointment, it was empty. What gives? Aren't jam and marmalade pretty much the same thing? I don't know if we can go so far as to call that a blooper, though. Little kids often have inexplicable rules for what they will and won't eat, so maybe that's a case of that here. The White Queen is basically a hot mess. Her clothes are crooked, her hair is a disaster. Alice tries to fix her up a bit while the Queen gives her the lowdown on how things happen backwards here in Looking Glass Land. When she describes how the King's messenger is in prison for a crime he won't commit before a week or two, there is an illustration of the messenger in prison and, y'all ready for this? It's Hatter. It's the Mad Hatter from Wonderland. This is the first overlap of Wonderland and Looking Glass Land citizens. And if I may quote Yoda, there is another. Not going to tell you who. I want it to be a surprise. But we will see one more Wonderland friend before the story is through. So after Alice helps the queen pull herself together a bit, they pass a brook. And you know what that means. A bunch of little dots printed on the text, and Alice has advanced to another square in the chess game. Crossing a brook also often means that things get weird, and that is certainly the case here, as Alice immediately finds herself not in the great outdoors anymore, but in a dim little shop. Oh, and the White Queen is a shopkeeper, and she's now a sheep. No biggie. Just turned into a sheep who sits knitting with a gazillion knitting needles at once, at one point, she asks Alice if she can row, and lo and behold, now they're in a boat, rowing along. This is where that illustration that I love appears. During the boat episode, we get a whole series of puns. You wouldn't know this unless you know rowing terms. To feather is to row in a certain way so that your oars don't catch. To catch a crab is to miss a stroke. Of course, Alice has no idea of this, so the dialogue with the sheep has a who's on first feel to it. During the boat ride, Lewis Carroll flat out tells us this is a dream when he writes, Even real scented rushes, you know, last only a very little while, and these being dream rushes, melted away almost like snow. This is not the first time he has informed us it's all a dream in this book, and frankly, I don't care for it. I would prefer if, like when we were in Wonderland, that wasn't revealed until the end. 
But Lewis Carroll did not ask my opinion. And also the fact that it is a dream is a little more obvious this time around, what with people turning into different things left and right and stores turning into rowboats and trains and everything else disappearing into thin air. When the boat goes and disappears in this chapter, Alice finds herself back in the shop where the sheep asks her what she wants to buy. Another clue we are in a dream state as Alice looks through the store, everything seems to move just out of her reach and or turn into a tree, including a certain egg she would like to buy. And that is where the chapter ends. Final thought for the day. What was the White Queen whispering to herself at the beginning of this chapter? Alice said it sounded like bread and butter, bread and butter. So is that what she was saying? Was it something else? Let me make clear, I don't know. This is a raven and writing desk type scenario. I just think it's one of the great mysteries of the book. Bread and butter, bread and butter. Thanks for listening. Bread and butter, bread and butter. Talk soon.